to the scripture today is in Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of the carmel withers. Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. My name is Albert, and if you're new here, I'd like a chance to meet you and say hi. We are entering this new book. We just finished Galatians, and here we are in Amos. So let me pray for us. It's always challenging starting off a new book. It's just a new pace, a new cadence, and something to get used to. So let's just pray. God, we thank you for your word. We cherish it. We love it. We admire it. And we ask, God, that it would change our life, that it wouldn't just simply be a textbook that gives us information. It wouldn't just be a book that stirs up feelings just like any other movie or novel would, but that this would actually transform our lives because you, Holy Spirit, are dynamic and alive and working in each person here. And so we ask, God, that you would penetrate into our lives that you would take over them, that we would be able to hear your voice in this. In Jesus' name, amen. For some of you, this might be your very first time cracking open this book and first time ever reading this book. And others of you have read this book, but you've never studied this book. And so you might be looking at this and be like, what in the world is this stuff going on? And I'm excited to go through it. I think you're in for a treat from God's word. And just as the Apostle Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And our church highly, highly esteems, it reveres, it values the Bible. We believe in teaching the whole counsel of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation, as Paul wrote in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so at Regeneration, the bulk of our teaching is and will be expository and not topical sermons. We study the Bible here, New and Old Testaments, and since we just finished a New Testament book, we're moving on to this Old Testament book, working through the entire, the whole counsel of God, so you receive complete training for the equipping for every good work. That's what we do. Now some people, including Christians, believe that the Old Testament is outdated, it's irrelevant. That will be proven wrong in our study of Amos. And it's very relevant, and it is not outdated at all. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we'll find from Amos that it's one of the most relevant and it's also one of the most convicting writings to the church even today, even though it was written in 8th century BC, which is why I was led to teach it. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, for whatever was written in former days 
was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So let's dive into this book for the next few months. Yes, it will take a few months. Which was written in former days for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now being the first study of Amos, we have to do quite a bit of laying out of the land and doing some background work and having a proper introduction. So that's why we're only going to be able to cover two verses. So let's first take a look at who Amos was. Verse 1, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. Among the shepherds of Tekoa. We have a slide of Tekoa. You can actually go and visit Tekoa today. Not much to see in the city itself, but not far from Tekoa is the Herodian. We have another slide of the Herodian. This is where Herod built one of his many, many wonders of the world, where they believed Herod the Great was buried. And our group took a pilgrimage there about a year and a half ago. And we stopped by this Herodian and just right over, probably not even a mile, you can see the city of Tekoa from the Herodian. And so Tekoa is about three, four miles southeast of Bethlehem, another famous city known for its shepherds. So this region that we're talking about, Tekoa, Bethlehem, very well known for raising sheep. And this is about eight to ten miles south of Jerusalem. And so whenever you're talking about Passover lambs, it came from this region, that those lambs came from this region to go up to Jerusalem. So Amos was among many shepherds in the region where people tended their sheep. And shepherds were just the bottom rung of the corporate ladder, if you did not know that. Now, if we look ahead to Amos chapter 7, verse 14, gives us a further insight of what Amos did for work. Amos chapter 7, verse 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Amos confronted his generation, and we'll find out he's confronting ours as well. And all this confrontation from a shepherd, bottom rung, who takes care of sycamore trees. I mean, just an awesome resume, right? I mean, who was this guy? Who was this guy? Amos was a sheep-loving Lorax. That's what he was. I speak for the trees. That's what he was, right? He's just a sheep-loving Lorax. And he calls everyone out. Everybody. He called Israel out and he called all the surrounding countries as we're going to take a look at the next time we meet. If you look at all of chapter 1 and the first verses of chapter 2, he calls all the surrounding countries out. He calls them all out. That's who Amos was. Now what did he do? What happened to him to get him to this place? Amos chapter 7 verse 15. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people, Israel. And that's what he did. And he didn't think to himself, I'm just a shepherd. And I dress sycamore fig trees. I mean, I've been sowing this one all day long. and This looks nice. I can't say that to those people. Are you kidding me? I'm, I, who am I? But he recognized the presence of God in his life. And he didn't have the pedigree. He didn't have the resume. He didn't have the experience to do what he was doing. He wasn't an established prophet. He didn't have that in his lineage to say like, hey, my dad's a prophet. I know how this thing goes. But he went to Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, and he told the priest, the Lord took me from what I was doing and the Lord directed me to what to do. We are instructed in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we are to work as for the Lord and not for men. And since we are working as for the Lord, we are His. We are His. And we need to be sensitive to His voice, to His direction, to be in tune to God's leading so that as God guides and what He says and what He tells us to do, we can say, thus says the Lord, as Amos did 14 times in his book. We need to be sensitive to God's voice and open to God entering our lives at any moment's notice, even in the middle of our careers, in the middle of what we are doing. And I think this is where many people have blocked out God. Too many people, especially in the Bay Area, are too busy to listen to God. Too busy to recognize a call from God. Too busy to do as God leads to say something that God has guided them to say. To know when God wants to take you from what you are doing to do something else. To do His will. And oftentimes people are just too busy to hear what God is saying. And then there are other people who leave from what they are doing to do something else without being called by God. And that's not so good either. Doing God's work without the call from God is a really bad idea. It's a presumptuous action. And you are doing more harm than you are doing good. Now, is everyone in ministry really called by God? No, I don't think so. Because if they were, why isn't the word of God preached everywhere? Why is the gospel so watered down in a lot of churches and ministries. And you go into some Christian churches and some Christian organizations, and some of them don't even mention Jesus. Jesus Christ, hence Christian. Right? And it's more motivational speaking than speaking the truth of God's Word. It's more about self-help stuff and the authority of social scientists than it is the authority of the Bible. And Christianity has a serious problem going on today. And you know what the problem is? People are going about God's business when God didn't send them. God didn't call them from what they were doing to something He wants them to do. They weren't sent. They went. Right? Too many people in ministry went. They weren't sent. And when people do that, even though they may have good hearts and good intentions, they are disordered because God didn't send them. They went out on their own accord. And when someone goes out on their own accord, when one doesn't have the Lord's blessing upon their work, they go without His power. And you can know a lot, you can have a ton of experience, but without the power of God, it's just done in the flesh. It's going to turn out to be spiritually insignificant. But when a person is touched, blessed, called by God, filled with God's power, no matter how little education you have, like a shepherd, or how little experience you have, you will be used mightily by God, just like Amos. Christianity has been looking at institutions like the church or seminaries or people to send out workers for ministry rather than recognizing the call of God upon a person's life. Letting degrees or experience determine whether someone is qualified rather than waiting for God to reveal who He has chosen for His work. And we need God to call people from where they are and to send them to wherever He wills. 
And it's not simply just about qualifications, education, experience, because you look at Amos, the famous sheep-loving Lorax, and you look at most people of the Bible. Look at most people of the Bible. The vast majority of people that God used wouldn't be chosen by a church to pastor them. They wouldn't be hired. They wouldn't be chosen to be part of a ministry team. I mean, look at Jesus' ministry team. They're crazy. They're crazy. He like purposely chose opposites, right? And he purposely chose like sinners. And he purposely chose, he, it's crazy. What did they all have in common that they could do God's work even though they were not qualified? They were called. Jesus chose them. They were called by God. And with his calling, he gave them power to do things that they couldn't do on their own. So you can't make yourself a servant of God. God makes you a worker for his kingdom. God decides to call you from where you are at to your next appointment. And if he doesn't, stay where you are and do well at that. Do really, really good at where you are. Be the best shepherd you can be. Be the best sycamore fig dresser you can be. Be the best you can be. And too many people supposedly doing God's work when God didn't call them to do it. So we have who Amos was, a shepherd and a dresser of sycamore trees from Tekoa. We have what happened. He was called by God from being a shepherd to being a prophet of God. And then we get to when did this take place? When did all this happen? Second part of verse 1. Which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Uzziah, king of Judah, and Jeroboam, king of Israel, tells us that Amos prophesied in the 8th century B.C. That's the time of their reign. Now, most biblical research will point to somewhere between 760 B.C. and 750 B.C., and no one really knows when this earthquake or what this earthquake they're talking about mentioned in verse 1 is or when that happened. No one really knows about that. Now, some background. What used to be one kingdom was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was still called Israel and the southern kingdom, Judah. And you can read all about the division of these kingdoms in 1 Kings chapter 12. It's a historical book for Judaism. Now, King David founded the kingdom, the same King David that slew the giant. King David had a son named Solomon. Solomon expanded this kingdom. He enlarged the kingdom. And then the kingdom was divided by King Rehoboam about 150 years prior to what we have here in Amos. Jeroboam became the king of Israel in the north, and then Uzziah became the king of Judah in the south. So that's just a little bit of historical background about what's happening there. A little bit more background. Jeroboam's father was King Jehoash. And this can be found in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 16. What happened with King Jehoash, Jeroboam's father, is pretty significant, and I think this is going to give you a lot of context. 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 9 through 14. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You have indeed struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Be content with your glory and stay at home. For why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen. So Jehoash, king of Israel, went up 
and he and Amaziah king of Judah faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Jehoash king of Israel captured Amaziah king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits from Ephraim gate to the corner gate, and he seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages and return to Samaria. Now why this background? To understand that the people of the southern kingdom, Judah, did not like those in the northern kingdom, Israel, because Israel caused quite a mess in Judah. Israel desecrated, they stole, they disrespected, they dishonored Judah. So naturally, the people of Judah don't like the rulers of Israel in the north. Now, where was Amos from? Tekoa. Where is Tekoa? In Judah, in the south. God called Amos from Judah to Israel. That's messed up. Isn't that messed up? Because I'm sure Amos didn't choose this. Amos was like, you want me to go where? Do you not know what they did to us? You want me to go there? But the thing is, God chooses. God chose. God decides your calling, not you. God decides my calling, not me. Not our church, not any institution. Do you really think I chose Oakland? Seriously. No way. I am from an upper middle class little town called Walnut. <laughs> Walnut. They don't even have the creek, it's just Walnut. <laughs> and in the past 15 years, that's all the data that I could find about Walnut, four murders in 15 years, right? Six weeks in Oakland, 16. You think I'd choose to come here? I went to a good university so I could get a good job so I can stay in a place like Walnut. <laughs> and when I moved to the Bay Area, I went to Telegraph Hill because it reminded me of Walnut. It's like so nice, you know, this is right there, you know where the Coit Tower is? Had a nice little place there overlooking, see the bridge, see Alcatraz. I'm like, hey, this is so awesome. I love this. And then all I heard about Oakland was just bad stuff, right? People in my office, not a single person in my office lived here. Not one. Not a single one. So when I moved from San Francisco to here, people thought I was nuts. Because most of those people that I worked with, they were living in Marin or on the peninsula or in the city itself. And no one lived here. And my family and my friends thought that I was nuts that I would want to live here. God took me from where I was at in my little nice little posh place in Telegraph Hill. Or first from Walnut and then there. And he put me here. And it was his timing. It was his appointment. Just like he did for Amos, who did not choose to go from Tekoa to Israel. No way. There's no way. And just like some of you who minister here, you did not choose to be here. 
right? God brought you here. He took you from where you were at to here. Now, to give you more background as to how things were during the time of Amos, rampant, brazen immorality. Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Brazen immorality. It was a very prosperous time for them economically. Amos chapter 3, verse 15. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish. And the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. These guys are wealthy. Ivory? Houses? Are you kidding me? And this was a time where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer, and, and you know that income divide, that middle class that is shrinking? It's gone. Right? And the haves took advantage of the have-nots. This was a time when people appeared religious on the outside, but on the inside, just full of hypocrisy. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 23. This is God speaking. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melodies of your harps. I will not listen. So you see the relevance to our church today. Because how are we? Brazen immorality. Economically prosperous, but with no sense of justice on how to allocate our resources to those who need them. Religious hypocrisy. I think the Old Testament book of Amos is very, very relevant to our 21st century church. Verse 2, And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Now this is not a good way to gain acceptance from people and win friends. Right? And Amos doesn't go to the other extreme either. He doesn't go on this personal tirade saying like, you guys really messed us up and kind of go on this rant. He doesn't do that. He did exactly what God told him to do. He said, thus says the Lord, not me, God. Before we go to the thoughts of people and overvaluing what people think and say, we have to go to the Lord. What does the Lord say? Seeking what he has to say. Because God has much to say. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But people tend to gravitate towards false prophets, and they tend to gravitate towards people who can lead them away from God. People are fooled into believing lies because those are attractive to their flesh. And people think that they can sow evil and reap goodness when that just simply is not true. And so Amos goes from Judah to Israel to deliver this very unpopular, this very disturbing message from God 
to a people who have wreaked havoc on his own people and on his own state. And he went to Israel to tell them that, you know, your economic prosperity and your security and your stability, that's all coming to an end because of your disobedience to God. Judgment was coming because of their evil ways rather than them receiving blessings because they were obedient to God. Now some of you may be thinking, but isn't God patient? Like how come it's coming to this? Isn't God patient? Absolutely God is patient. But patience is not forever. Otherwise, it isn't patience. Because patience isn't forever. You only have patience because there's an end. Right? That's why there's patience. Patience has to have an ending. And that's how patience is exercised. That's how it exists. And in verse 2, patience has reached a point where it's done. It's ended. The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. Judgment is coming to the disobedient. And it's not that patience and judgment only happened in the 8th century B.C. Right now, I believe God is exhibiting patience with us today. Right now. But there will be an end. There will be a time of judgment, which makes this study of Amos a very relevant study. God is alive and well, and He speaks to His covenant people, just as the Israelites were God's covenant people before and during Amos' time. We, the church, are the God's covenant people today. Now, we just finished studying Galatians last week, and in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul wrote this, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Who is the Israel of God? Us. Us. And you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you think it in remembrance of Me. We are the heirs of the new covenant. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now the Jews considered themselves the only ones truly circumcised and right with God. But Paul wrote here in Philippians that the Christian church is the only truly right one with God because of Jesus. Not because of we're all that, but because of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-11. through 11, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. What we read in Amos was not just for the children of God in Amos' day. It is also for His children today. The children of God in Amos' day became numb to God. They became consumed with entitlement, with achievement, with privilege, with success, and they were completely content with their lifeless religion. And they thought everything was okay, especially given the appearance that everything was okay on the outside. Everything was fine on the outside. They had all this nice stuff. They looked good. They had money. They had a nice place to worship. And they looked like they had it all together. Like us. Who can deny that God 
is with us. And they have this sort of a mentality. Who can deny God is with us? I mean, look at how God's blessing us. Who can deny that? And we're thinking, hey, we go to church and we tithe and we serve and we do all this churchy stuff that we're supposed to do. And look at our prosperity that we do have. Look at us. Hypocrisy was happening in that church in Amos' time. I don't know every single heart here, but this is something I'm very sensitive to. And you can ask our staff about what I've been hammering about just being aware of the hypocrisy that may take seed in our hearts. This cannot happen here. All show on the outside and empty on the inside. I can't do it. And God sent Amos to call them out on their disgusting, revolting hypocrisy. To call them out on how they were living right then. Not on their spiritual past, not on the things that they did well in the past, but today. How are you doing today for our worship to be alive for today, not some remnant in the past? You know, three years ago we were pretty awesome and we did this. Hey, five years ago we did this. Ten years ago we did this. Today. Because back in Amos' time, this is what God had to say to that church. I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Justice and righteousness. See, God wants our hearts. He doesn't want the shell of the exterior of stuff that goes on in a church. He wants you. He doesn't want our actions that come out of obligation. He doesn't want our bodily attendance without our heart in attendance. Our hearts need to be in attendance. And this empty religion to God that was exhibited in the time of Amos is disgusting to him. It is revolting to him. And back in Amos' day, the religious practice was hopping. Things were happening back then. People were way into their religion. All a sham, all a facade, religious appearances on the outside, but preoccupied with themselves, with their material possessions, with their physical appetites, fixating themselves on the external while the internal was just wasting away, just being completely oblivious to the spiritual reality around them. And the church back then was no different from the church today. A church consumed with money, sex, immorality, entitlement, worldly things while confessing to be the children of God. And the book of Amos makes us take an honest look at ourselves, and it's probably going to cause some discomfort. And it's not that that's what I'm trying to do is make you uncomfortable. That's not my aim, right? My hope is that the Word of God transforms us. It changes us personally, each one of us, and it helps us to usher change in those that come in contact with us in Jesus' name. That you are a different person than the world has experienced from the misrepresentations of those who call themselves Jesus followers, but they're really just hypocrites. There are too many rebellious churches misrepresenting God by not following the word of God. Churches that aren't any different from any worldly organization, and you wouldn't know them to be Christian because Jesus Christ is hardly acknowledged as their Lord and Savior. 
Churches that disregard holiness in the name of tolerance. Churches more concerned with growing assets and growing attendance rather than the power and the presence of God. Churches consumed with culture and politics rather than obedience and prayer. Thank God for Amos. Because we need what God has to say through this prophet. Not just the information within his writings, but because the word of God transforms lives. Listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17-19. through 19. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Where are you at with God this morning personally? And as a church, where are we with God as a church? Let's make sure our focus is on the right things that our heart is in the right place as we serve God. And I leave you with this quote from the book of Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we desire to hear from you, for you to guide us from where we currently are at to our next appointment, whatever that is. As we know that we are exiles, we are sojourners. And so we want to be mobile, we want to be fluid for you. We ask God that you would purify our intentions, our hearts, our minds, just to serve you, to not get in the way of ourselves, to not put forward our personal agendas, to be in submission to your authority, to what you have for us. I ask God that you would bless the people of our church here, that you would equip us to do every good work in Jesus' name. Amen.